Draymond Green throws right side to Livingston. Back to Draymond. 10 to shoot, 15 in the game. Curry spins, stumbles with a dribble. Throws cross court to Livingston. Good catch. Goes to Andre. He's open. Launches a three. Buried it! He buried it with 5.9 to go! Clutch shot by Andre Iguodala. And there, he absolutely saved this game. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors huddle with me, Bram. No Marcus today, but we do have our master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? And I can't tell you how excited I am to announce, in fact, my favorite thing to announce is that Reed joined us, an 11-year vet of the NBA, where he played with and against generational stars like Rick Barry, Bill Russell, Earl Monroe, Oscar Robinson, and Wilt Chamberlain, the best television announcer in the league and voice of the Golden State Warriors since 1985, and my favorite guest on this show, Mr. Jim Barnett. What's going on, JB? Gentlemen, you always give me these great introductions, and I hope I live up to all the expectations, but it's very nice uh, of you to speak of me in that manner and uh for both of you i thank you per usual jim it will be impossible for you to live up to my expectation today i'm just going to tell you that it is what it is it's going to be a failure because i expect so much out of this damn pod but let me start this thing the way that we've started at the last couple um and it's with an admission i have reached out to our audience for questions for you and per usual they not only came back with questions they came back with compliments which by the way is good Jim because if not I probably would have complimented you and it would have gotten kind of ass kissy and a little bit awkward and I want to avoid that this time so this is from Pete in Concord quote last week my favorite team of all time started its fifth straight finals appearance and I've had my television on mute for the first eight quarters why because the only thing I enjoy more than watching the Warriors in the finals is watching the Warriors in the finals with Jim Barnett broadcasting, and I'd prefer go through another Cohen era than listen to Mark Jackson and Van Gundy over JB. Please tell JB that for the last week, we've watched the TV, but listened to the radio play-by-play. So I, I back that, Jim. I've actually been doing the exact same thing. Well, I'll tell you, Tim is so gracious, Tim Roy, I'm speaking of, obviously. He doesn't need my help, and uh, but he lets me share the microphone a little bit and I really appreciate it. And I'm now I'm looking forward to it. And first of all, I can say Toronto is great. We love the city. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, we already know that we're not playing the city of Toronto because the way it's taken up there in, in Canada, we're playing against a country, not just a city. <laughs> so it's kind of cool, but we, they, and they're gracious enough. They put us down to floor level. We're like in the second tier back there, but you really can't see the game as well. And so I'm looking forward to games three and four here at Oracle where we'll sit a little higher up, but that's, you know, I don't have to talk as much on radio as I do on TV. And if I do, Tim gets mad at me because I'm screwing his, his broadcast <laughs> up a little bit. <laughs> And so uh, I've got got to refrain from doing things. It's very different. It's very different than TV. But anyway, uh, I don't have to talk as much and I can observe things. And from up top, you can see what's going on. I might have I might have recognized that they had a box and one in the fourth quarter, uh, which down on the floor, it was very difficult to tell what was going on. Sure. Uh, We knew they were making it very difficult on Stephen Curry because in the minutes that he played in the um, fourth quarter, I think he played like 
seven or eight minutes, maybe somewhere around there. Um, he didn't even get a shot off. He didn't even, he was not able to take a shot in that quarter. So the Warriors are going to have some adjustment to do since they didn't score in the last five minutes and 39 seconds of that game until Iguodala hit that winning three. So, um, it's I, I, I like working radio and I, because I like working all of the games and we get to go all the way throughout the playoffs. It's really, really fun. So uh, we've got we've got a lot to talk about, though, in game three. I, it's going to be really tough because everyone knows uh, who's injured and who's out and all these kinds of things. So it's, a, it's a huge challenge for the Warriors. One of the questions that was sent in triggers that exactly. And here's how they put it. Um, it, it noted the last time you were on the show was right before the Houston series. And you and I talked about, in fact, you and I agreed that Houston, the Rockets, were probably the biggest threat to a Warriors title this year. Now we're facing this Toronto team. I mean, I'll, I'll admit to you, Jim, that I'm, I'm fairly afraid of them. But this gentleman wanted you to answer the question. Now that you've had an opportunity to see Toronto up close and personal for two games, do you think this Raptors team is a bigger threat than the Rockets? Is this the best team the Warriors are going to face this year? It's interesting. Uh, I think they have some weaknesses. And part of their weaknesses is in the backcourt. You know, they're, they're playing – Fred Van Vliet, who's not a bad player, obviously, uh, hustles like heck. He gives Curry a little bit of trouble, and he's playing more minutes now than the starters, Danny Green or Kyle Lowry. Yeah. So they, they've gone with him um, because the first two guys, you know, the starters have been inconsistent at best, uh, scoring and shooting and everything out there. So um, it, it's it's interesting. I don't – if I had to – I hate to say this, but I think I think Houston's better. And I think Houston is a tougher opponent hmm. uh, than the Raptors okay. uh, in this in this vein. After Game One, I, I believe the Warriors were surprised. You know, that was the one team in the league that they were the least familiar with, um, and it showed. And they were surprised, and that the layoff didn't do them any good. It yep. was uh, they kind of lulled into it. Uh, no, no excuse there, but they weren't quite ready to play. They come out in Game Two. Um, and especially after when, when Curry scored 12 points late in that second quarter, so the Warriors were only down by five points going into halftime a couple nights ago, they came out in the third quarter and, you know, first it was the first seven points. I'm thinking, okay, that, this, is, this is good. They got the lead. And then it was 14 to nothing run. And I, I think, I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it might have been an 18 nothing run. Yeah. And then going back to this, Going back to the uh, second quarter, it was a you know a twenty nothing run or twenty to one or whatever it was. Um, but to start the way they did that third quarter, and it, it the offense, yes, they made a lot of turnovers though. They made a lot of mistakes. The Warriors did, but their defense was just absolutely uh, captivating. Um, and I love Demarcus Cousins' game. First of all, I love his game, but he was so good in that third quarter. Everybody was. They protected the basket. They were fortunate. A couple shots didn't go in uh, for Toronto. But all of a sudden, they got that double-digit lead like that. It had a hell of a quarter uh, and really didn't look back. And luckily, they had uh, enough lead that they could bleed out the end of the game without scoring for five minutes and 39 seconds uh, that they could hold on. And, and talk and about that a, basketball a game. Terrifying stretch that five thirty nine, and I can confirm, Jim, that it was eighteen to zero. And the only reason that sticks out of my head, I'll admit to you, I was watching the game with my father. Actually, he's a basketball fan, and going yeah. into the third quarter, he said, "Watch, they're going to have a seventeen to zero run." And I looked at him and said, "No, I know more about basketball than you. I have a potty. I mean, all these like kind of condescending takes." And then, sure enough, <laughs> off they go on this eighteen to zero run. I look like an idiot, and I can't even necessarily root for this like amazing thing because I'm I'm 
and being proved uh, to know very little. But I wanted to follow up with you on the DeMarcus thing because it's one of my favorite storylines. I mean, talk about full circle. When he first signs on, at least my perception was that DeMarcus was trying to get his, his championship passport stamped, right? That he viewed the Warriors as the best chance to get this ring. But now we've come all the way around. The Warriors desperately need him. And in between those two things, he has returned from two major injuries. So let me ask you, how impressed are you with Boogie so far in the finals? Uh. I was uh, game, game one. It was uh, a stretch there because he had been out for so long. His timing, everything was off. He, he wasn't smooth at all. Uh, he didn't start, and I, and I think he prefers to start. Uh, that really helps him. So in, in game one, he, I don't think he made a basket. He had a, a couple of three free throws. But when he started in game two, you, he was a whole different uh, breed yep. of animal out yep. there. And, and I say that, and, and I shouldn't say that word animal, uh, but he was, uh, people bounce off him. He is getting rebounds. He's blocking shots and he's assisting. I mean, he can, he's a really good passer. So he had six assists in his uh, yep. uh, debut as a starter uh, uh, in the finals. First time ever, you know, of course. And so his physicality, um, really really showed and he can play against Gasol I here's what I expect um coming up tomorrow night if you don't have Clay Thompson and I don't think you're going to you're not going to have Kevin Durant I think that's pretty much a given until game four at the earliest Kevon Looney I it's it's amazing I hate losing him he's so solid yeah um so DeMarcus I think is going to have to score more tomorrow night and I believe he'll be equipped to do so um, you know, I just, I think he's worked out all the cobwebs, sure. uh, and everything. And so I think he's going to be a little smoother that way. And they're going to need that because you saw how they stifled Stephen Curry, uh, even when they had Clay Thompson out there, uh, earlier in that fourth quarter. And so it's, it's going to be really tough for Steph to carry the load. I, it's not, I, I would be absolutely shocked. And I also would be in wonderment and be, uh, I don't think I'd be able to sleep uh, until early in the morning if Stephen Curry could come out and have a 36-point game and, <laughs> and carry this club. But that's asking a whole lot uh, against a team that's a very good defensive team. Toronto's an excellent defensive team. But if the Warriors play the kind of defense they did in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter, I think the um, uh, Raptors were 14 of 48 from the field in the second half. You play that kind of defense, they're going to have a chance because people will step up, you know, Quinn Cook was great, but if they know that he's the only one out there and you don't have to worry about uh, anyone but Steph, they're going to they're gonna put the clamps on him. They haven't really challenged him yet. Sure. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens out there. But DeMarcus has been a delight, and now he's going to have, kind of like Siakam did, uh, Pascal Siakam in the first game, he had a green light, and he was off and going, and he took over and could do no wrong. I think DeMarcus will have a little more of a green light offensively, which he likes yep. because he was disciplined. He was disciplined in, in game two for the number of minutes that he played. He could have taken a lot more shots, but he knows what's on the line. And uh, he's, he's been a great team player. And I think Steve Kerr was uh, very impressed uh, with what he did uh, in game two. When you were a, a Hollywood 
writer. It would be hard to come up with a storyline that's as perfect for DeMarcus as it is right now. I mean, because not only were they able to kind of ease him in and give him a little bit of minutes in game one and then get him used to scoring in game two, now they desperately need him, given Clay's absence, for the scoring, and they've given them, hopefully, the runway to do exactly that. So I love the analysis. Um, I, I know that I only have you for, for about four more minutes, Jim, so I'm going to make it fast, but i got to ask you this um, because it really caught my attention when you mentioned it right in the front of the pod. So you said that you saw it from up top. They were running a box and one on Steph. I'm not familiar with that, Jim. I, mean, I, I know what it is from playing in high school, but we never see it in the pros, which leads me to this question. My intro of you, you have played with and against unbelievable offensive players. I mean, some of the best people who have ever touched a basketball. Bill Rowe, or I'm sorry, Bill Russell, Rick Barry, Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, these, these singular mm-hmm talents did you ever see a box and one deployed on any of them i mean how unusual is this well first of all bram i gotta educate you on when i played them so long ago it was illegal to play a zone oh. it would be a technical <laughs> foul so you, you had to play man to man i was so uh, proud of that question so. too jim so proud of it and yeah, now it's yeah. just exposed me as an idiot i feel uh, like i'm telling my father they're not going to go on an 18 and 0 run hey listen i, I it's, it doesn't matter. It's so irrelevant now. But that it's, we, 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 the, the zone was illegal. Um, and obviously, you, you could double-team players and things like that. Um, but th- these, it's, it's hard to compare the eras. But I had never seen that. And also, I couldn't believe that the Warriors couldn't score against that. Uh, because I was watching, uh, at the time, I was definitely watching um, Ibaka. And he was up on the, he was up on the front line, uh, you know, away from the basket, Usually on the uh, if you're coming down the court, he'd be on the right hand side over there. He wasn't guarding anybody, and so I'm just thinking, you know, you you got to hit some outside shots if they're going to bring it that tightly in, and which they did. They were just on the edges of the of the uh, of the key lane in the lane area up there um, and on the baseline and up top. I, I just thought I, I think Draymond tried to uh, set up a few things. The Warriors did miss some shots there, certainly. So we'll see how if they come out with that again and do a box and one particularly if they did it uh, late in the game when Thompson was out because Thompson, um, you know, got hurt. And really, I'm trying to think, he played uh, some in that third quarter, but only four or five minutes. I think they set out the last six or seven minutes and played the game without him there. So um, we'll, we'll see how they react to that. But the way to solve that, here's the, here's the panacea, and here's the cure-all if you want. If the Warriors play the great defense, and I have to say, though, the transition defense has been very good for Toronto. It's been extremely good in both games. They're running three men back all the time. But if the Warriors can really capitalize on good defense, solid defense, get steals like they did in the third quarter, that's when they can get out and run. Sure. And if they get out and run, forget the box and one, they'll never even get developed. Right. And that's where you're going to get everybody scoring. Uh, when when they did that, uh, even in, in that third quarter early on, Clay Thompson got a couple back doors. Draymond Green, uh, the ball was moving. They got easy baskets. It was pretty. It was something to behold. And the the assists uh, to ba- to baskets made uh, ratio was tremendous in that game. What was it? Thirty four assists to the thirty eight made baskets. I remember that is just tremendous. So we'll see how that plays out. I'm not going to concede that that because of all the injuries that Toronto's naturally going to win this game. I just have a good feeling that the, the Warriors are mentally tough as well. Yep. And I think, I think their defense could carry them a little bit. And I tell you what, that would be such a great win to win game three at home if they could pull that off without 
you know, the, the horses out there. Especially with the injuries and what that would mean mentally for both squads. Um, Jim, give us a prediction, and then uh, we'll get you out of here, man. What do you think happens? The series, not just tomorrow. Well, I don't know what... What, what, Bram, what do you and Max think? What are you, what are you guys thinking? Give, me, give sa- me your prediction. I'm saying Warriors and six. Um, I thought that they were going to split these, these opening four. I still think that. I think that they're going to lose one of these games in Oakland, go back to Toronto 2-2, and then close out. And part of that, Jim, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm pissy yeah. and depressed that Oracle is closing. I really am as, as a guy who's been going there for you know 40 years almost. And so I love the idea of sending that arena out with a championship, which is okay. one of the reasons I'm doing it. Yeah, and I'm just gonna. I'm did gonna you go ju- to the? Did you? Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna right. say I was. I mean, I was gonna largely agree with Bram, but I do think I agree with you, Jim. Even in the in the case of uh, so many people being injured, I think there's a chance that they don't lose a rest another game for the rest of the series. I could easily see it also going in five, even with everybody hurt. <laughs> and yeah, I've got. A, I, I just have a Max. I have a, a feeling about the the game too. I could be totally totally wrong, and you know, I, we we all do, we know nothing. We can speculate. Um, but it just, I, I, I just think that they're, they're going to step up and they're going to, it's in order for Toronto to win tomorrow night, they're going to have to beat the Warriors. It's their Warriors aren't going to lay over. And, uh, I do believe in, uh, you know, little small miracles like that. And we, I was going to ask before we leave, Max, did you, our brand, did you guys go to the arena today for media? I and, didn't go and, to and that. all the interviews. No, I didn't, okay. um, and I haven't listened to a lot of it. But I will use that as an unnecessary excuse to ask you this: Are you going to miss Oracle Gym? You, you've spent more time there than than yeah. almost any other employee. I mean, is this sad for you? It's it's I, it hasn't hit me as being sad yet, but it's going to be very different, and I will miss it uh, when I first step into the arena, yeah. the Chase Center in San Francisco, and. Um, Yes, or maybe when we, but we never, see, the nice thing about it is, you don't know, it's, it's like death, you don't know when it's going to come, and we don't know when the last game in Oracle will be played. <laughs> that's, that's fair, uh, that's absolutely fair, um, and I, I tell you what, I am going to keep my promise to you, Jim, that is all we have, we got you in and out of here, Maxime, how much, how much time do we got? Yeah, we're at 17 minutes. 17, uh, two minutes more than I promised, Jim, I, I apologize, no, but no, I, I was I, right there, I got close. I, I extended you, and I didn't mind at all. No problem at all. I extended you, yeah, well, and uh, I appreciate that. We'll see. Let's let's do it again, uh, uh, maybe before a game seven or something. Ab- we'll, uh, we'll see how it all goes. Absolutely. Uh, I hope it doesn't go that far. But uh, you and I both, I, and, and you just so, so that you know, Jim, you can replace Maxime anytime you want. You're my co-host if you want it, man. You have an active position on here. All so, you have yes, to do is hit the seven. record button. It's really easy. <laughs> Bottom line is, anytime, we, we'd love to have you every possible moment that you're willing to come on. So before game seven, okay. let's do it. Hey, listen, I, I've got some Canadian $20 bills, you know, because I knew we were going back. So if you make it to uh, <laughs> Toronto for game five, uh, I've got a great place to have beers. And I'm telling you, it's they've got dozens and dozens of European beers on draft. Oh, let you and, had me at the and, word beer, Jim. I am in. Let's yes. say let's do it. I mean, it's, it's and it's only two blocks from our hotel, so uh, <laughs> it's I, I frequent that place a lot. It's and it's really fun. You you go inside and you do feel like you're in Europe. You really do. Uh, but anyway, perfect. Thanks for having me on, guys. Of course, right. Jim. Go Warriors. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. 
I love Jim, always loved Jim, certainly loved him this week. I'll give you a little bit of a peek behind the scenes. So we reached out to Jim, he was nice enough to join us, but he only had 15 minutes today. Um, as you could probably tell by the inherent sweat, you could probably hear dripping off of my face as we interviewed him, but he was still phenomenal there. Um, and we do have some time for you and I to talk about the finals and what we've seen and kind of big observations we've had. So I wanted to do that, but let me start our segment with a real quick you to a uh, a joint friend of ours, Scotty. And here's why. That whole question about the box one thing, like, you know, have you ever seen that with any other person? I talked with Scott right before we recorded. He suggested that goddamn question. It sounded hell of smart and well-reasoned. And all it did was destroy my credibility with our favorite guest. So F you, Scotty, just in case you're listening to this, I will never forgive you for giving me that wow, goddamn that question. that sounds like a Trojan horse moment right there. <laughs> yeah, you think I it was bet Scotty purpose? knew that. Yeah, he's uh, like, oh, the zone was illegal back then. <laughs> Oh, let's just f- <laughs> And when he was listening to the pod, right as I said it, he did that clenched fist like, yes, mission accomplished. <laughs> but I uh, digress, and I'm certainly burying the lead. What I want to talk is about things that we've seen through games one and two. Not minutia, not smaller things, just big things that have kind of stick out. And I'll start here. It is a fucking miracle that I lived through the Warriors' last possession of game two. Um, I mean, so like, so we go through that, right? And the Warriors seemingly have, what was it, like a 10-point lead. It looks like we're perfectly fine. They don't score for five minutes. And I'm continuing. It's like that meme with the cartoon character sitting in a burning house. Mm-hmm. And underneath it says, this is fine. Yep. Every time they score, I'm like, this is fine. This is fine. This is fine. They come down the floor. They're only up to first. They seemingly want to make sure that every single person who can't shoot the free throw is touching the ball. Like, let's make sure Livingston has it and yep. Iguodala and Draymond. Then we have Steph refusing to hold on to it, the greatest free throw shooter of all time. Then he desperately tries to throw it away for just no reason. <laughs> and then it ends with Andre, and I'll admit this to you, even though I hope no one else is listening. I was screaming, don't shoot it. Same. I was screaming, don't shoot oh, it. Oh, it's embarrassing. Or at least wait longer to shoot it. And then he finally hit it, and I was crazy happy and told everyone around me, including my stupid father, that's exactly what I wanted to have happen. But man, it was I, I didn't have fun during in that sequence. I shouted no as soon as he let go. I mean, look, Andre's hit big shots and big moments before. I remember he had those huge free throws to clinch the 2015 finals. Like, we know that he can hit, but that was terrifying. I feel like he hasn't hit a three in months. No, it, it's the kind of thing where when he hits it retroactively, we suddenly remember that he's a big-time player, the right. whole ice water in his veins. And, like, I understand why he took it and why we should have been more confident. But before he hoisted it up, those weren't the images running through my head, man. I've seen that dude hit a th- a good number of threes, and I've seen him miss a ton of threes. So, I mean, let's emphasize, we were wrong. Amazing shot, amazing skill set, and they did exactly what needed to be done. But I'd be lying to you to tell you that I was hella confident as that thing played itself out. No doubt. I, I, I do also want to point out, I think it was, yeah, it was Draymond who had the line about the good receivers and the bad receivers, and like Sean Livingston, you know, nobody's going to talk about his past. But just to point it out, because maybe nobody's going to talk about it, but like the balls on Livingston to be like, yo, I'm going to hit Andre with this and then he's going to hit it. I mean, like, yeah, he's the wide open man. That's the right play. But like, that's just as terrifying as taking the three. If I'm Sean Livingston, I'm probably going right back to Curry. You're skipping over the unbelievable catch Livingston made to even get the ball to Andre. Look, I I love Steph. He is as talented as an athlete as anyone I've ever watched at any point 
ever. If I could, I would make him the godfather to my child, although he couldn't pull me out of a lineup of one, so that probably wouldn't happen. But <laughs> I don't mind also pointing out that that fool gets fairly careless with the ball at giant wow. moments, Whoa. like just really giant moments. And that was one of them. Again, again, they won the game, you know, and, and we can, I can now be honest about my own shortcomings as a fan because we had success. But damn, if that didn't cost me at least five or six years of my life, man. No doubt. That's the double-edged sword or whatever of Steph. I mean, he is, you know, that's what makes him so hard to guard, but it's terrifying to watch sometimes. I have also become a fairly weak fan. I've just gotten so used to their success that now that they're playing games whose outcomes are definitely in doubt, and I can't just sit back like with the kind of pompous knowledge that we're so much better, of course they're going to win. I'm losing my shit constantly. We we watched a little bit of game two on tape delay, and during the half, um, you know, we were out in my backyard and drinking a couple of beers, and the game was on pause, and we were actually back to real minutes. If we had gone inside, we could have watched live basketball, and I wanted to stay outside and just let the tension just stop for a minute, you know, like just just felt good to kind of relax and not have to worry about everything that was happening at every moment. So like my whole ability to be able to get through these tense games apparently is not as strong as it used to be. Yeah, that's what the beer is for as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, you know, the beer is not helping surprisingly <laughs> no, enough, really. at least not as much as it should. But let's talk a little positive stuff. So some of the things I have noticed and enjoyed are the narratives that continually take shape. We talked about one of them with JB, the whole DeMarcus thing and how he's he's kind of come into this new position and now he's crazy important, but he's not the only one. Um, Lowry. I love watching Kyle Lowry. I love that we talked before the series started about the idea that he tends to kind of turn off in big moments and then actually watching it play out. He's pretty much doing exactly that. So glorious. Disappeared in game one, fouled out hell of stupidly in game two. I actually like to do like little narratives when he has the ball just out loud. Nobody in my living room likes it at all, but I like saying things like nobody knows how nervous I am. Nobody <laughs> can tell that I know I'm not that good. You know, like these kind of like running takes that I find funny of no one else. <laughs> I I love that. I didn't realize you were saying like from Lowry's perspective, that's so oh, yeah. good. No, that's 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 Lowry's internal monologue. <laughs> I'll just start taping them and we can play them. Uh, we can play them contemporaneous. Uh, God, what else have I been noticing, man? The, um, the Drake thing. So mm-hmm. I desperately want to not notice Drake, right? Like just to say anything about him gives him power. But I'd be, you know, full of crap if we didn't at least point it out. And it's the juxtaposition. Because on one side you have Toronto, and I really want to hate them. I want to hate the whole country. But they make it impossible. They're like diverse. They did an, an MVP chant for Obama. They're seemingly respectful. They like like the Currys. Like it's impossible to really get down and just hate Toronto. But I'm not having that problem with Drake. I <laughs> immediately hate Drake. It doesn't matter what he's doing. I just immediately hate him. And I don't think I'm alone. Now, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but we had some things after game two of Clay and KD uh, taking some shots at him in the bowels of their arena. <laughs> I think he's bothering the team too. Oh, I think so too. I mean, like 
the Warriors are the better team, and yet they can't help but just yell at Drake. And I, oh, but, but I love that whole clip, right? You saw KD out there just dapping up everybody as they came through. I love the sort of the unity atmosphere behind the scenes because um, I don't think we're supposed to see that. But yeah, they went in on Drake. Are you like me? Anytime anything happens, so I, I've gone public many times on this show. We're not going to worry about KD until the free agency. Who cares? Just enjoy him now. This doesn't mean anything. But if I'm being honest behind the scenes, if anything happens, either directly involving KD or just involving the Warriors, just anything at all, I spend the next nine to 10 hours figuring out whether or not I think that makes it more likely or less likely KD is going to stay. Like they announce he's going to Toronto. It's like, well, that means team unity. He wants to stay. They show him in the battles afterwards. It's like, he wouldn't do that unless they were best friends. You know, like every single thing they lose. And I'm like, that means he's staying because they obviously need him. They win. That means he's staying because they're so good and he wants to play with them. Right. Are you doing this similar type of crazy analysis or am I the only person? No, 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 for sure. It's kind of a beautiful mind thing. I have like a shack in the back where I'm like, like drawing on all the windows, you know, like red, uh, red lines going from uh, pinpoint to pinpoint. Yeah. It's very, it's very involved. <laughs> I'm glad I haven't found that shack yet. <laughs> no, that There's I would, a reason. Yeah. No, that I would turn on you immediately, even though I just admitted my own neurosis. Uh, what player have you come to hate before when we did the Toronto uh, finals preview, we, we guessed that, you know, after a couple games, I'm sure we develop a little animosity. Uh, and so, you know, we're going into game three. Do you hate any Toronto player? And if so, who? Um, I think this says more than anything else that the answer is a no. What? Yeah. What are you talking about? Nobody has, I mean, you know, I could, I could say that I was annoyed by Siakam, but that dude folded in game two. He was like five instead of 17 or you whatever. You mean he's not better than Michael Jordan? <laughs> Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Came out of nowhere. Um, yeah, I feel like Kawhi is clearly injured and is not really bothering me all that much. Um, like Lowry has been an absolute zero in this series. So then what? I mean, Danny Green has been a joke. I mean, nobody has has annoyed me at all on this team. I think they've just collectively kind of been a fart noise. There is not a single hair that's a part of Van Vliet's beard that does not annoy me. I <laughs> cannot stand that guy. I don't... It started as a genuine or genuine hate for Pascal Siakam, but that was just because of his success in the 14 to 16 thing. And then, you know, percentages came back. He crashed back down to earth. But watching Van Vliet chase around my favorite player and just be mediocre enough to somehow be successful in it wow. is genuinely bothering me, as is his beard. So he's the guy I've learned to hate. Nothing from you? Like, it, you see him and there's no flashes of anger, nothing? You know, the narrative behind the scenes of him just having his second kid, like, I can't help but it's kind of like the whole just maybe it's because they're from Canada. Don't like, you I make can't me the bad guy, like, Maxime. Unbelievable. Aww. You're like resting now. Yeah, you be so I'm actually the bad guy after saying that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I picked it up. Go back to your yeah. beautiful mind shack. I'm not asking you any more supportive questions. Oh, it's going to be a great pod. <laughs> It's also a lie because all I have is questions to ask and I'm not going to ask them to myself. So we'll go to this one. Um, and if you tell me he hasn't annoyed you, then you're either a liar or you are dead. Mark Jackson. Oh, I, yeah. 
Scale of one to ten. Uh, be honest. 11. Not, not theatrical. Be honest. How much no, does he bother you? Oh, on, on a... so much. His takes are just wrong. Like he doesn't see things that are important, and he sees things that like is actually beautiful minds, schizophrenic levels. Like, what are you talking about, Mark? I can't. I can't stand it. And it also makes my skin crawl continually since the first time I heard him on a broadcast post him coaching us. It was like, I'm embarrassed for the dude in a way that is so um, core to my being that I can't, I can't stand listening to him. And I, and I know this is a less popular take, but I'm also like really not a fan of Van Gundy. So the two of them together, I mean, it just like, it totally eats at me and I'm, I'm really not being theatrical. I cannot stand. Mike Breen is great, yeah. but like any, and what is Doris Burke doing as a side? She is so much more talented. I know we've had that conversation, yeah. but like get these jokers out of there, get Doris Burke on there. I mean, not only is what she talking about more interesting, but her voice cadence is more interesting. She's just more talented as a speaker, and she sees the game with more depth, and she's not a joke of a person who's like race, or not racist, but like sexist, and like homophobic. Like, get this dude, get this dude out of here. My God, I got a little bit lost when you started talking about Doris Burke's vocal inflections, because I actually think that they are a little bit strained, and when I tuned back in, you were calling him like a racist, sexist. <laughs> I mean, like, that was really, that was a hell of a rant, so good for you. Man, um, I have gotten tired of the gimmick of it. I understand from a television perspective why they first put him in. You know, like he's he's the ex, and he's in a position where he has to call his ex's games. There's something that's entertaining about that, kind of like a reality TV show. But at this stage, man, we've run that course. Totally. It's done. Yeah. Um, and now it either reeks of desperation from him when he's trying to draw back to the days of how he influenced this team, or just haterade, where he's taking shots at them for absolutely no reason. And I don't know if it's because of our history with him or not, but nothing seems genuine from him now. They all seem to have some kind of an agenda. And for as long as that's true, I can't accept him as an announcer. It just is what it is. It's time to move on. In fact, I'll give you an option. All right. Of these three people, only one can serve as a color man. I want you to pick one. All right. One is Mark Jackson. The other is this pen in my right hand. And the third is, I don't, we'll call him Henry, and he can only make fart noises with his mouth. Of those three, which would you prefer as far as a color announcer? And don't rush into it. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it because I want this to be a real answer. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't met Henry. Yeah, fart noise Henry. He's pretty good. I mean, like a lot of varied fart noises. It, it's hard to determine what they are, but after a couple of games, you'll you know you'll get it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But see, that pen is is right there in front of it me. It is here. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's done yeah. a good job so far for us. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. it's it's got notes all over the place. Exactly. And no history with the team, so we don't have to worry about that. Boom. Okay, so all those together, where do you land? Fart noise, Henry. Fart noise, Henry. Yeah. I think that's right. I think yeah. I land there too. Yeah. I almost went Jackson just because he can, in fact, speak English. But I'm going to go fart noise, Henry, uh, as well. <laughs> Let's get to something real, man. Um, give me a prediction. Who wins this ultimately? And I, I heard you tell it to Jim, but break it down a little bit further. Why you don't actually? In fact, let me put this a different way. What I heard you tell Jim is after that first game loss, you now think the Warriors are going to win four straight and essentially a gentleman's sweep, despite dropping the first game and having just a slew of terrible injuries. All right. So just on the outside, when I hear that take, it sounds terrible. I'm just going to tell you it sounds terrible. Explain to me why it's not. How are they going to win these next four? I mean, you can you can break it down in terms of, you know, I think a lot of people like to talk about all-star appearances, you know? I mean, even if you just have Steph and whatever cyborg version of DeMarcus Cousins just came out, you know, or even in terms of all-stars, 
Uh, DeMarcus can spread the floor like nobody else. Um, and he's also massive, you know, so our ability to both hit outside shots and steamroll people on the inside, like that's enough for me right there. You know what we're actually seeing right now, or this is what I started thinking when we were getting ready for this pod, is why it was, I mean, you know, Jesus, I'm not breaking new ground here, but why it's such a huge advantage to have the layers of talent the Warriors had. And also why it's not just an unnecessary abundance of talent. We first hear that DeMarcus signs on. We know that KD is coming in and we're talking about a five all-star team, which is unbelievable and unfair. But at this point in the game, they needed all five. You know, literally right now as we may lose Clay and we lose Loon, which is a much larger hit than we're currently talking about, right as that happens, we may have the reemergence of Kevin Durant, one of the greatest players to have ever played the game, who will coincide with the, uh, the emergence of DeMarcus, which has already started. There's no other team that can bring that kind of collection of talent, you know, so... If anybody can survive what's happened as far as injuries and not worry about that game one loss, it is the Warriors. But four straight's a lot to ask for, man. No doubt, no doubt. And just as as a quick aside, let's pour one out for Kavon Looney, broken collarbone. For yeah. those who don't know, that is a, a pretty tough blow. Yep. But look, I mean, I think the Warriors have talked. You know, this is the first time that they've uh, opened the finals as the as the underdog, or not the underdog, but you know, not home court advantage. Yep. So they're going back. They get two at home. I could, you know, people are starting to be very, very aware of the fact that these are the last games at Oracle. People are going to show up, make a ton of noise. There's all this Jurassic Park bullshit about you know it being hell of loud. It's Roracle. It still is. I'm sorry. Like people are gonna get turned. So I could. I. I'm just not that concerned about us taking momentum through the next two games, and then that's it. And then that's the closeout. And you want to talk about a team in the Raptors that has consistently folded under pressure, that is currently folding under pressure, where their homegrown star in Kyle Lowry um, can't step up to the limelight, and then they're going back and they need to defend the winner-go-home type of a situation. Would you like to hear Lowry's internal monologue? Because I can do that for you. Right, not right now. We'll do it later. We'll wait for the game. Are, and I'll, yeah, are you I'll sure? Because I feel like the whole time, everybody listening to this pod is going to be like, man, I just want to get to these good. <laughs> It'll be later. You know what? Only for the, uh, the Patreon supporters. We'll do a full good hour and a half of Lowry monologue. Um, we'll make sure to get that in there. Uh, would you want to go to Jurassic Park? So a friend of mine was in Toronto. Um, in fact, ran into Jim Barnett randomly enough, and I forgot to ask JV about that. But I asked him, did they go to any of the games? And they didn't because it was a trip that had already been planned, and it just happened to coincide um, with the finals. But I don't know if like, so part of me feels like that'd be hella fun. Go throw on the yellow shirt, be in the middle of Jurassic Park and see what happens. But another part of that sounds like it would be hella awkward and kind of tense and like awful. Where are you? Personality type. Would you want to do it? Yes. There's so many caveats to that. I mean, it's in Canada, you know, so it's like people talk about Californians being hell of deferential, you know, as a comparison to New Yorkers. I feel like Canada is the ultimate, you know, everybody's going to be apologizing to everybody else. There's got to be at least some group of like, Raider fan, for lack of a better way to put it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they totally. can't, because that, that's a great comparison. That's what I would like to do is be able to go in there and be my own asshole. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? I, I get drunk, I'm wearing a yellow shirt, I'm screaming for every Steph Curry three, all of that. But even if 90 5% of Canada is crazy nice. There's got to be that 5% who are, who are not going to yeah. necessarily deal with that, you know, and then the the day could become a nightmare pretty fast. And, you know, then I can't fight for crap as I've made very clear on this show hell of time. So that night just ends with me getting my ass kicked. 
I don't see that being a real upside for me. Well, and if we're talking about like going there for game two, when we go cold for the last five minutes and 32 seconds of the last five minutes and 39 seconds of the game, like what am I going to do standing there by myself? I can't just be hype when we're not hitting anything for over five minutes. No, thank you. Can you imagine how that team plays out? For five minutes, people are now screaming at you because the team's coming back. And then at the last minute, when your last hope, Andre hits that three. And as Jurassic Park goes quiet, you start screaming into the night. That's when the 5% of Canadian assholes are coming for you you know what I mean like that's when like <laughs> yeah. that dude who you hadn't seen yet in Jurassic Park is able to figure out the one person who's screaming and now the evening changes that's exactly <laughs> why I wouldn't be too fired up for it um, let me ask you this uh, well take me to the court of uh, whether or not something's socially acceptable and then we'll get the hell out of here so I, for years, although I haven't done it for a good six, seven years, was a fan of the fake high five. And it goes pretty simple. If I'm in a, a sporting event and I see an opposing fan, somebody who's getting after it for a team I hate, and I think I can pull it off, I'll make eye contact with them, pretend like we're best friends, say something that suggests I'm rooting for their team, put my hand up, and then when they come to give me the high five, I pull it back down, and you know it's a swing and a miss, and they're really embarrassed. Up until I turned about 26, 27, it felt like just a really amazing move. Now, the more I do it, the more of an asshole I kind of feel like. And I did that to a random Toronto fan on BART. There was this dude, he wasn't, wasn't talking to anybody. He was wearing a Toronto hat. It bothered me that he was wearing a Toronto hat. I wasn't wearing anything. It was just in normal work gear. So I went up, I was like, hey, Raptors, threw my hand up. And then when he tried to give me a high five, took it down and then went back to my seat cool like do i seem like the good guy in that thing was i sticking up for dub nation or am i just an asshole on bart who did something for no reason <laughs> that's that's a pretty rough move man you don't like it you're not impressed <laughs> I mean, part of the problem is i think you're supposed to run your hand through your hair instead you this know, isn't like... the end of like an 80s movie i'm not doing the hand through the hair that's ridiculous <laughs> so you're saying the actual fake high five was well placed it was just the execution of it that was off right that's what i'm trying to say yeah <laughs> there's just no context there's no historical context for what you're doing you know you're just pulling your hand away as opposed to like actually this other thing that i'm going to do with my hand is more important <laughs> than high-fiving your dumbass. i think that when people do the fake high five it's not like oh psych i had to comb my hair i think it's no we're not actually friends which i was able to accomplish well are you sure maybe that guy was like that was a tight joke that we had together I gotta tell you that of the possible responses you were going to give me, the you should have run your hand through your hair and that guy may think that you are friends response is not one that I counted on, man. Mm. <laughs> well, <laughs> you gotta be ready for anything, Bram. Well, if uh, Toronto fan you happen to be one of our listeners out there, my bad, man. I should have ran my hand through my hair. I'd, if you do, in fact, think that we are best friends, we are not. I was just trying to alienate you. And if I've left you with any confusion, that's on me. With that in mind, you guys, huge fun. True every week, certainly true this week. You want to reach out to us. Let us know we did a good job with JB. I shouldn't be firing off uh, fake high fives or just let Maxime know that he doesn't understand that hands through the hair does not help anything. We can be hit at Warriors Huddle is our Twitter account or warriorshuddle at gmail.com is the email if you want to support us with more than just your time 
Patreon is the move, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Hop up on there, search for Warriors Huddle, and you can support us for as little as like a dollar a month. And honestly, for those of you who are currently doing it, there's no way that I can explain to you how much we appreciate it. In fact, this show would just simply not exist without you. For those of you on the fence thinking about helping, if there's something I can do to make sure that that happens, let me know. Shoot me an email. I am not a proud man. You let, let us know. And chances are, you say jump, we will say how high. With that in mind, go Warriors, and hopefully we'll see you real soon. Good, good.